Hi everyone, my name's Ella and this is The Crime Chick, a true crime podcast discussing the most horrific of crimes. Now I'm sorry for the late post but it has been a very hectic few weeks and I'm still trying to juggle everything with the podcast and university and all that fun stuff but I'm hoping in the next few weeks to get into a proper posting schedule so until then you will just have to bear with me. But today's case is truly chilling and I actually found out about it by watching a movie on Netflix called Frozen Ground and I highly recommend watching it after you've listened to this podcast as it really is amazing and gives you another sense of what this case is about and Frozen Ground is based on Robert Hansen the gruesome woman murderer also known as the Butcher Baker of Alaska. Now, when you hear the term serial killer, you usually think of evil, twisted monsters who live in dungeon-like houses all on their own, not someone with a loving wife, children, and working at a small-town bakery. But that was exactly the case for Robert Hansen. By day, he contributed to the community, spent his time working and playing with his children. But by night, he snuck out to degrade, defile, hunt, and murder innocent women. So, grab a glass of wine and make yourself comfy. It's going to get sinister. Before we get into the case, I want to talk about Robert's background. Now, Robert was born in February of 1939 in Iowa to parents Chris and Edna, who owned a small but very successful bakery. And it was so successful that Chris decided to move his family to California as he thought his business would be able to grow even more. However, this was not the case. And after seven years of trying to get their business to flourish, Chris and Edna realised it just wasn't going to happen and they moved all the way back to Iowa in 1949 when Robert was 10 years old. Once again their business got back on its feet and all was well but the big moves over his life left Robert a very shy and inverted child. He also had a very bad stutter which prompted bad bullying from his classmates. Now you would think that his parents would get him some sort of help, but Chris was a devout Christian who believed firmly that Robert's problems could be solved by faith and determination. So rather than taking him to speech therapy, he put him to work in the bakery. And over the years, the anger Robert felt continued to build up inside him. His self-esteem diminished and his social anxiety grew even stronger. Robert wanted nothing more than to move out of Iowa, so when he graduated in 1957, he enlisted in the Army Reserve where he did his training in New Jersey. Now, when the boys weren't training, they would head out to the nearby cities to drink and have fun, and this is where Robert had his very first sexual experience, and with a sex worker. Now, unlike approaching the girls at school, he found it so much easier with the sex workers and he felt as if though he was superior to them and this started to fuel his ego. 
Now fast forward a few years and in 1963, 24-year-old Robert met 20-year-old Darla Henriksen and the pair quickly fell in love and got married later that year. It was a rocky few years with Robert being fired from various jobs for stealing and even serving a year in prison for burning down a barn where his old school kept the buses. It seemed that Robert was after revenge, but Darla overlooked all of this and continued to be with him. Now, Robert had a fascination with hunting and he spent a lot of time in Alaska hunting down various wildlife. So in 1967, Robert convinced Darla that they should move to Alaska and that is exactly what they did. Whilst there, they bought a house, Darla secured a job as a teacher and Robert did what he did best, worked in a bakery and they even had two lovely children. But as the weeks went on, Robert was out more often, lying about his whereabouts and spending his nights watching sex workers from his car. And what he starts to do is truly terrifying. Robert soon found game hunting boring and he just wasn't getting the thrill out of it that he used to and despite things going well in his work and personal life he still had a seething hatred towards women and thoughts of the girls who teased and turned him down at school festered in his mind. It was this that convinced him he needed to get revenge and Alaska, a state that was rife with prostitution, suited his needs perfectly. In the beginning, Robert was sloppy with his murderous intentions and in 1971, he attempted to abduct Susie Shepherd, who was 18. He was later charged with assault by deadly weapon by a grand jury. And just a few days after this, he then abducted a topless dancer and raped her. After the assault, he began driving her back to Anchorage when he had an idea, one that would soon become his MO. He stopped at the side of the road, took out his gun and told the woman to run. She begged Robert not to kill her and surprisingly Robert agreed as he was convinced that the woman would keep quiet about what happened. But in December 1971, the body of a female college student was found near the Kenai Peninsula and the dancer was convinced that it is Robert who had murdered the college student. So she came forward with her story and identified Robert. Now you would think at this point that justice would be served and Robert would be put away. And although Robert was arrested, a number of his friends and his church minister came forward saying there was no way Robert could commit such a heinous crime and that he was an upstanding member of the community. Due to this, the charges against Robert were dropped and the police would later find that he would go on to rape and murder many more innocent women. At the start of Robert's crime career, he was mainly picking up women, raping them and then letting them go. But after a while, this was not satisfying him and so started his torturous regime. On June 13th, 1983, Cindy Paulson, a 17-year-old sex worker, is doing her usual rounds in Alaska when Robert pulls up in his car and offers her $200 for oral sex. Now, this isn't unusual for Cindy and she gets into the passenger seat where they agreed to go to a nearby parking lot. 
At this point, everything is normal and Cindy begins to do her business. But not long after, he grabs Cindy by the hair and pulls her up, where she is now facing the end of a gun. Now, Cindy very evidently now knows that her life is in danger and she listens to everything Robert is telling her to do. So she stays quiet whilst he drives her to his house and he drags her down into his basement. Now, this isn't an empty, dingy basement. It is filled with hunting trophies, a pool table, sofas, and a bearskin rug. Now, all of what I've, I've described so far is from Cindy's personal account, and she remembered every detail. Robert then takes Cindy to the bearskin rug where he sexually assaults her and then ties her up to a support beam whilst Robert lay on the couch and sleeps for five hours. When he finally wakes up, he takes Cindy to the bathroom to get washed and dressed again and Cindy starts to wonder whether he is finally just going to let her go. But Robert tells her there is one more place he wants to take her, to his cabin. Now he tells Cindy that he will let her go after they go to the cabin as long as she does everything he says but he then tells Cindy that to get to this cabin they have to go by plane and funnily enough Robert owns one. So Robert drives Cindy to his plane and leaves Cindy handcuffed in the car whilst he is busy loading it and Cindy realises this may be her only chance to get away. So she makes a run for it, and by some sort of absolute miracle, she manages to flag down a truck. Now, bear in mind, she is now half naked, handcuffed, bruised, and has no shoes on. And this guy in the truck, Richard Yount, evidently realises that he needs to take her to the police station. But Cindy begs him not to and instead instructs him to take her to the big timber motel where her supposed boyfriend is so the truck driver does just that but the very moment cindy steps out of his truck he reports the incident to anchorage pd where officer greg baker is working and he instantly tracks down cindy who is hysterical in her motel room still handcuffed and still half naked and it turns out that the boyfriend who she was supposedly meeting was her pimp. Now Cindy manages to calm down a bit and Officer Baker gets a full description from her of what exactly happened and she tells him everything from the moment her and Robert met to the moment she managed to get away but bear in mind she didn't know Robert or his name at this point but they do manage to track down the plane that he took Cindy in and whilst police are trying to track down the owner Cindy is in the hospital having various physical exams done and the results show obvious signs of sexual assault. They found semen in her body and abrasions on her wrists from the handcuffs. And luckily, this is all the police need to track the guy down and arrest him for kidnapping and rape. But it turns out this case wasn't going to be that simple. Now, you would think this would be a very simple open and shut case. They found out the man who owned the plane is Robert Hansen and Cindy positively identifies him. And when he is taken into questioning, he obviously denies everything. But surely they have him, right? Wrong. 
because Robert has an alibi for that night and the two men he says he was with confirm everything. They even go as far as to explain how he is an upstanding citizen with a wife and two children. And to make matters even worse, Robert willingly agrees to let police search his house. Now, you may be wondering, why is this such a bad thing? Surely that means they can easily gather the evidence they need to prosecute him. But you would be wrong, because what guilty man with evidence to a crime in his house would agree to police thoroughly searching it? Well, Robert did. And despite his car and his house matching the exact description Cindy gave, they find zero evidence. And at this point, some of the police start to believe that 17-year-old Cindy is lying, so they want her to take a polygraph test. But when they go to look for her, they can't find her anywhere. And that is because Cindy and her pimp both left town when they found out that they wanted a polygraph for her and because of the lack of evidence the investigators drop the case but that doesn't mean they have given up because at the same time Alaska state troopers were investigating a series of murders in Anchorage and they are all in nearly the exact same circumstances so Cindy's file is sent to them to investigate and that's when everything starts to come together. Now, it is completely beyond me why this man still hasn't been arrested and charged, because bear in mind, two other women a few years prior to Cindy had come forward saying that Robert had raped them. And now 17-year-old Cindy, who is a child, I want you to remember that she is a minor, has come forward, said that he has tried to kidnap her, well, successfully kidnapped her, raped her and wanted to murder her but the police are having none of it and because cindy is a prostitute and robert is a supposed upstanding citizen they are believing robert but luckily the alaska state troopers are investigating a series of murders and they believe there is a serial killer on the loose now, bodies of several sex workers and dancers started to appear one by one around Anchorage, the Kenai Peninsula and the Nick River. And the first was that of an unidentified woman who was referred to as Eklintna Annie as she was found by the Eklintna Road. Investigators had stated that she had likely been killed around November of 1979. The body of an exotic dancer, Sherry Morrow, was then found near the Nick River, where police found a shell casing in the dirt next to her body. And a few years prior to that, two other women were found in the same circumstances, with the same bullet casings near their body. Now, with all these bodies popping up within close proximity of each other, the FBI got involved. An FBI agent, John Douglas, put together a psychological profile of the killer based on the details of the case and the injuries inflicted on the women's bodies. He said that the killer was an experienced hunter with low self-esteem and that he would most likely have a stutter. He may also collect animal trophies as well as those from the women he has killed. And as we know, this perfectly matches the description of Robert. So finally, in late October 1983, 
After months of gathering evidence against Robert, police obtained yet another warrant to search his plane, car and home. But this time, they found something. A gun with bullets matching those left by the women's bodies, jewellery kept as trophies and a map with 24 X's dotted around. And some of these marks matched the burial sites of some of the women found by police. But it's when they questioned Robert that things got really interesting because he never once denied being with the women. What he denies is the sexual assault and kidnapping. Now he claims that he was with every single one of these women, but that they were trying to con him, but nothing else happened. But at this point, the police are not buying it anymore and they now have more than enough evidence to arrest him. And once he is in police custody, the two men who claimed they were with him that night Cindy was kidnapped and assaulted came forward and admitted that they were lying. The horror that Robert put his victims through was finally coming to light. Robert is held in remand whilst he waits for his trial, which is set for February 1984. And in this time, the Alaska State Troopers and the DA carry on building their case against him. They were able to positively match the bullet casings to Robert's gun, as well as match the jewellery found in his house to a few of the women found murdered. But before they get a chance to take Robert to trial, they get a very surprising call from his lawyer. Robert is ready to confess. As previously mentioned, Robert was a respected business owner who loved nothing more than to hunt. But what no one knew is that for more than a decade, he had also been collecting trophies from another kind of kill. Robert told the police that he would kidnap sex workers, take them to his basement where he would sexually assault them, and then fly them out to the remote Alaskan bush. But the torture didn't end there. Along Nick River, he would set the women free, making them think for just a moment that they had a chance of survival. But as they ran for their lives, he would track them down, hunting them like animals and this torture would last for hours until he located his prey and would shoot them. He even explained to police what drove him to commit such a heinous crime. He stated that kidnapping, restraining and assaulting women gave him the chance to take some control back from when he was rejected as a child and he saw sex workers as disposable. At this point, Robert confessed to 17 murders, but if you remember from earlier, there were 24 X's on the map found in his house, and the police were convinced he was responsible for more than 17. But by using Robert's map, police were able to find the bodies of seven more women murdered by Robert, including Sue Luna, Miley Larson, Dylan Frey, Teresa Watson, Angela Federson, Tamara Peterson and Lisa Petraio. Now, Robert didn't actually end up going to trial as he took a plea deal and pleaded guilty to 17 murders and at least 30 sexual assaults. 
On February 1984, the judge ultimately sentenced him to 461 years plus life in prison and he was taken to a federal penitentiary in Pennsylvania to serve his time. But in 1988, he ended up back in prison in Alaska after a correctional officer found escape plans in his cell. Unsurprisingly, his wife filed for divorce in 1990 and Robert died in August 2014 at 75 years old. But with his death, he took with him to the grave the true details of his crimes, his victims, how many, their names and the locations of their bodies. Due to Robert Hansen's despicable crimes, Alaska State Troopers developed protocols for dealing with sexual assault cases and they built safe houses around the area for victims of abuse. However, a report in 2016 by the Violence Policy Centre ranked Alaska as the state with the highest homicide rate per capita of female victims killed by male offenders. There is still a lot of work that needs to be done in Alaska to this day. As always, I would love to know what you think of this case. Was justice truly served? Could many of his crimes have been prevented? Whatever you think, head over to my Instagram, The Crime Chick, and leave me a comment under my most recent post. Alternatively, you can head over to the episode section of my website, thecrimechick.co.uk, and there'll be a section there for you to discuss the case. You will also find links to articles, extra reading recommendations for the case, the link to the movie I mentioned, photos from the trial, and a transcript. I want to thank you all so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you that takes time out of your precious days to listen to me. I hope you're all staying safe during these very uncertain times. And if you are struggling mentally, there are links over on my website to various helplines, some of which I have personally used and are really, really amazing. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to join me next time on The Crime Chick. Thank you.